Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. salvation and uh, this is first Thessalonians 5 verses 4 through 11 written by the Apostle Paul again this helps us to understand what the helmet of salvation is all about you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief you are all children of the light and children of the day and we do not belong to the night or to the darkness now remember he said our struggle is with forces of darkness but he tells us here we do not belong to the night or to the darkness so then since we don't belong to the darkness let us not be like others who are asleep but let us be awake and sober for those who sleep sleep at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night but since we belong to the day let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet for god did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our lord jesus christ he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we may live together with him therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing so Let's take a look at the reasons that we wear the helmet of salvation that is defined more clearly in 1 Thessalonians as the helmet of the hope of salvation. And let's take a look at why we need to wear it. First of all, because the helmet protects the most important thing we have in this battle between darkness and light. It protects our mind. And our mind and our head is where we take in information. We take in information through our eyes, what we read, what we see. We take in information in our ears, what we hear. And when we take in the information, we process it then with our brain and our mind, which is our connection to our soul. And in this battle between dark and light, the helmet is needed because that's where the battle takes place, in the mind. The battle in the mind is about philosophies, about ideas that eventually lead us to actions. And Paul has said in the passage, both to the Ephesians and to the Thessalonians, you're in a battle, you don't belong to the side of darkness, you belong to the side of light, and this helmet of salvation is necessary because the battle will be won based on how you think. And what you think about and what you believe as a result, which will then lead you into what you do. So here we put on a helmet. We put it on to protect ourselves. And the battle of salvation, which is being waged, is a battle where God is at work developing us into holiness, purifying his church, 
and releasing that church into the world so that the kingdom of darkness can be defeated. Therefore, wear the helmet because it will protect how you think and eventually what you do. He's basically saying in this piece of the armor, you are in hand-to-hand -hand dangerous combat, combat with dark forces. Where you're going every day is dangerous. Now, pretty soon, I'm going to go to a very dangerous place, the dentist. And when I go to the dentist, they don't always come right out and tell me it's going to be dangerous, but they have this thing at the dentist's office called an x-ray machine. And what do they do when I go there? Well, if you haven't had x-rays on your teeth for a while, they take this hard plastic thing, they shove it in the back of your mouth, you bite down on it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Can I let go? Drool's coming down the side of your mouth. Right? And, and, and then they do something. After they stick that in your mouth, the person, hygienist, who's doing this on behalf of the dentist, they take a coat of armor and they put it over your chest. And they give you a pair of glasses to put on. And you're immediately informed, this must be a dangerous place. It's so dangerous, she doesn't stay in the room with you. She bails. <laughs> and as you're wearing this chain of mail, this coat of protection and glasses, you hear this little bzzz, and you think, well, that wasn't so bad. And then she walks back in all smiling and chirpy, and I'm like, well, you could have stayed. It wasn't that, that bad. You're in a dangerous place in a world that throws little things at you constantly. Little zip, little zip, little idea, little thought, little picture, little image, little audio. You know, this is the world you live in. And if you're going to be protected about what you see and hear and how you interpret it, you better understand you're in a danger zone and you need to protect your mind. Your mind is the place where you're going to make decisions that impact both your soul and your body. So he says, put on this helmet. Make sure you put it on. Now, this is listed in the order that it's listed because they would have picked up the shield that protected them if they were a Roman soldier, and it would have been wrapped around their shoulder, and they would have been grabbing it with this hand that I'm grabbing the microphone, and this helmet would have been handed to them, and they would have put it on their head. And they weren't prepared for battle until the helmet was secured. These helmets were leather, and, and attached onto them, sewn onto them, were little chains of uh, whatever kind of metal they could find. So when you think of these nice metals that the medieval knights wore or the football players wear, that's not the kind of helmets they had. Leather with these things sewn onto them. And they weren't ready for battle until that thing was on because the enemy was going to go for their head. One blow to the head can eliminate you from the battle. So your helmet is a pretty important piece of armor, isn't it? Now, we go to Thessalonians' passage, and he talks about the helmet of salvation 
being the hope that we have. And the hope of salvation is the thing that he wants us to understand that salvation brings to us in the battle that protects us. How exactly does the helmet protect you when you're a believer? And to understand how it protects you, you have to understand the concept of salvation in the Bible and the fact that salvation doesn't occur just as by celebrating communion somewhere back in the past. Salvation, when the Bible talks about salvation, is a three-step process. There's a past process, there's a present process, and there's a future process. And the Bible references, using the word salvation, you have to determine which part is it talking about. The past, the present, or the future. Let me illustrate it like this. Let's say there's a large corporation, it has a big industrial operation, and it's trying to increase its profit, and it, and it doesn't care about the damage it's doing to the environment. And so it begins to spew all kinds of junk into the rivers and into the ground around the, around the plant. This goes on for years. The ground is polluted and corrupted, the water is polluted and corrupted, the air is, is not breathable and people are getting sick and around the towns, around this factory, there's people getting sick. Government comes in and gets involved and the EPA realizes these people aren't following the rules. In order to make money, they're polluting the land. So they come in, they're found guilty by the whatever agency it is that takes care of these things and they're levied a fine of $500 million. It's a huge fine for having polluted for so long. Now, another company interested in buying that company for what it does elsewhere comes along and says, we'll pay that $500 million debt to take care of the legal requirement. When that debt is paid, the company is no longer considered in violation of its crime. Why? Because the debt of $500 million was paid. However, even though the legal requirement with the government has now been met, what has to happen? For the next however many years, people are going to come in and work at purifying the land that was corrupted, right? The law's been met, the payment has been made, but man, oh man, the dirt, the pollution, and the junk are still there, and it has to be removed. And so over a long time, they go to work on purifying that which has been purchased. And then after 20 years of work, the ground's been cleared, the water's been purified, the plant's been fixed so that it's operating correctly. They plant some trees and they put out some, some, um, some flowers and they put some benches around the area and they have a big celebration for some new park that is opening on land that at one point in time was completely polluted. The community shows up, everyone's happy, and wow, what a process. It took a long time from the time the penalty was paid to the time they cleaned the pollution 
to the time they opened the park. That is salvation in your life. You had a debt of sin from all the pollution in your life. The Bible says all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, and you were in violation of the holy law of God. But Jesus valued you. Jesus valued you. And he came and he paid your debt and made your violation with God removed. And now, in the mind of God, the requirement has been met. And that requirement is what you celebrated this morning in communion. The blood and body of Jesus Christ paid your debt. But listen, when your debt was paid, all of the pollution and stuff in your life called the flesh, the Bible says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. At that point in time, God sent the Holy Spirit and wrote the Word of God so that over the course of your life, God could come down inside and start cleaning up the things that should not be there because you are a person of the day and not of the night. Right? And so how long does that take? It takes your entire life. Your entire life. Not a quick process for God to clean you up. Not a quick process for God to get a hold of the way you think and purify that and, and get a hold of the poorer parts of your personality and begin to change them into the likeness of Christ. And not a short time for him to begin to transform you into the image of his son. No, a lifetime. In fact, the Bible says that God is not done in that process of salvation until the day he calls you home and you see Jesus. You see, the Bible puts it like this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because you've been called by a holy God your sin debt has been cleansed. Your sinful record of breaking the laws, moral laws of God's universe have been eliminated. You're okay with God now. But God is going to clean you because God has adopted you into his family. And as God is holy, he calls his people to become holy. And so God is working in your life to make you a better person, to get you ready for the day when you'll see him. So that on the day that you see him, the transformation in your life will be minimal. Um, there's a picture in my house of me when I was a uh, young man. And somebody that we know was in the house visiting. And they looked at the picture. And they asked Tammy, who's that? And... Uh, and that's one of those real shockers in life when you realize, I don't look the way I used to look, and this person who's known me a long time doesn't recognize that that's me. <laughs> I've really changed, apparently. And, uh, you know, the, the, the process of change works into the future so that someday that process is reversed. Someday in eternity when we're fully saved and sin is completely removed, somebody's going to look at me and they're going to notice that there's some kind of a poor reflection back to when they knew me on planet Earth. 
And they're going to say to me, you know, I knew you had it in you. I knew that good stuff that I saw once in a while. I knew it was there. And now look at you. You say that to little kids when you see them after a long time. Look at you. You look just like. And someday you're going to see somebody out there, and you're going to say, look at you. I knew you had it in you. You look just like Jesus. Past, present, and future. The hope of salvation is that God is doing and God has done and is doing and will do your salvation. And he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ, right? So there's this truth about the hope of salvation. I have been saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. And all of that is true. So when you're in a world that's polluted and corrupt, in which Jesus is trying to redeem, and you're in battle with the enemy, the thing that gives you the hope that you can continue to battle when the battle is tough is this hope that God began this work in me and I'm saved by the finished work of Christ. God is continuing this work in me and I am being saved by the ministry of the Spirit of God. And God is not going to finish with me until I am there in eternity with him and I look like Christ because of all of his grace and mercy to me in my life. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20, the author of Hebrews points us to how we keep our hope. So Paul says, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. And the writer of Hebrews says, here's why you can always have hope. In fact, he uses the term, I want you to have an assurance of your hope. In Hebrews 6, here's what he writes. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which is it impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So here's what God knows. In this process of being cleansed as you are being saved, there's always that wrestling with the doubt of when sin happens and I'm not quite perfect yet and I'm wrestling with, well, am I saved or am I not saved? God says here in Hebrews 6 that he did two things. The passage reflects back to Abraham, who we looked at last week. God swears by his own character. The Bible says, since God could not swear by anyone higher than himself, he swore by himself that he would make your promises that he made to you come true. And we have this anchor as a hope for, this, for an encouragement for the soul, firm and secure. And what is it? He tells us later in the passage, Jesus Christ like Melchizedek the priest, went behind the curtain of sacrifice, shed his blood there for us, and now stands there as our high priest. So the songwriter would say, we have an anchor that keeps the soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Anchored to the rock that cannot move. Steadfast and firm in the Savior's love. What is the anchor of hope? 
The anchor of hope is that God has sworn that by Jesus and his work and his entering and the sprinkling of his blood, your hope is sure and your assurance is supposed to be sure. I've heard a million people use Hebrews 6 to talk about how you might lose your salvation, and Hebrews 6 isn't teaching that at all. Hebrews 6 is teaching you why you can be assured of your salvation. Because your salvation was assured of by whom? Jesus Christ at the cross and Jesus Christ as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so when you're battling and you're being purified in this process and sometimes there's junk in your life and you begin to think, oh, gosh, what a terrible, horrible human being I am. And you're right. That's what the Bible tells we are, right? The Bible says, like Paul says in Romans 7, what a wretched man that I am. In my flesh, there's nothing good. It stinks. You're impure in the flesh. You're corrupted in the flesh. You're dead in trespasses and sins in the flesh, but God has made you alive in Christ He's given you the Spirit. The Spirit is alive inside of you. And this process of you being saved is a process where as you put on the hope of salvation, you recognize that even if you fail, the Savior will not fail. And you can come to him, seek his forgiveness, have it because he already knew you were going to do this anyhow. You didn't surprise him when you sinned or failed. He knew you were going to do it. But his blood is sufficient, the Spirit of God is at work, and there's a day coming, right, when it'll all be made right. In fact, that's the third point of why to wear the helmet, because putting on the helmet helps you to live in light of the future. The world sees time as this big circular thing, the wheel of, of life kind of thing. You know, the circle of life from the Lion King is the perfect philosophical teaching of the world. And in, without Christ and, and the revelation of God and his plan in the world, we might think that just like Solomon, when he looked out at things under the sun, whatever has been will be again. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said. But with the revelation of Jesus Christ came God's revelation to us that time and history are not circular. Time and history are moving towards an end. And that end is the revelation of Jesus Christ and the revelation of those people that God has been saving into a final state of salvation. Now here's what John writes as he writes about it. And remember both Paul and John and Peter, all the apostles, write about this conflict between dark and light and, and how God has taken us from the kingdom of darkness, placed us in the kingdom of light, and now we battle the darkness as God is working to save us and, make us, and, and, and to make us fit for eternity. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. So, in that day when God reveals final salvation, none of us know exactly what that's going to be like. We can guess at it. People can write books at it and take an imaginary guess at it. It doesn't even come close. There's no way we can even imagine what it's going to be like. 
eye has not seen nor ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Right? Paul said he got taken up into the heaven and he saw things he wasn't allowed to write. Probably because we couldn't understand him even if he did. It does not yet, uh, we don't know yet what it's going to be like. What will be has not yet been made known. We have glimpses through a glass darkly. Jesus rises from the dead. Now in his new resurrected body, the disciples recognize him. But he can do things in his new body that he couldn't do in his old one or that we can't do. And yet he says, here, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When is Christ going to appear? At an hour and a time you think not, like a thief in the night. When the world is saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction. The world looks like it's just going on as it's always gone on. When suddenly Christ comes back, the trumpet sounds... And all of history has changed. I'll give you this illustration. It's a painful personal one for me. I told you a while ago that I worked for the Winona Lake Street Department when I was in seminary. That was one of many jobs I had. Another job I had was I worked for Reimer's Ice Company. Reimer's Ice Company was located in North Webster, just north of Winona Lake. And my job, most of the time, was to drive a truck from the Reimer's Ice Plant to Chicago deliver the ice at a depot, two-and-a-half-hour drive, and then drive back. But there were occasions when the depot was full of ice, if it was colder and the ice wasn't selling, and they would move me into the factory. And in the factory, my job was to bag ice or to make sure that the equipment was running correctly. Now, I'm no mechanic. Anybody who knows me knows that to be true. But when I saw that it wasn't working right, before I went and called the mechanics to come fix it, I had a list of things that I could do to try to get the machinery working again. Now, we had this machine that was an auger. It would auger the ice from where the ice was made, auger it down, and it would hit the, the uh, line, and it would be bagged. The auger was run by this pulley system that was up near the ceiling. And sometimes when the ice would come through there, the ice would cause that system to jam up. And it would be the job of the person like me to go up there with all of the mechanical inclination and skill that I possessed and take the hammer and pound it. And that would jog the ice loose and pretty soon, you know, that pulley system would be running again. And that baby could really move. Well, there were other ways to fix it, including when you hit it with the hammer, this big mallet thing, if it wouldn't work, you could take your hand, and you wore these really thick gloves, and you could kind of do this, jog it. Don't ever do that. Because as you're doing that, it could suddenly start up again, and your hand could get trapped in the middle of a pulley system pulling an auger, at which point in time you scream very loudly. That's what happened to me. I had done this a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. But on one time, suddenly and without warning, bam! And it happened in an instant. That, dear friends, is what's going to happen to the world.
The world's going to keep churning and churning. We see many problems, and you know, sometimes those problems get fixed, and the world keeps churning. And the world's going to keep churning, and it's going to keep churning, and it's going to keep churning until, bam! As the lightning flashes from the east to the west, Jesus Christ returns. Boom! Right? And then everything is different. With one little word, the Bible says, Jesus destroys the Antichrist. One little word, Martin Luther writes in his hymn. One little word would fell him. Jesus is the word, and he will speak the word, and in an instant, all will change. And you and I don't know when that's going to happen, but we are invited to live in light of that every moment of our life. That's what the hope of salvation is. When you put the helmet of salvation on, you know that you have been saved. You know that you are being saved, and you have a high priest who can help you when those things in your life come out that shouldn't be there. You confess them, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But it's also true that you live in light of the future, knowing at any moment Jesus Christ could break into this world, and nothing will ever be the same. So, putting on the helmet of salvation means this. I have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am being saved by the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I will be saved by the return of Jesus Christ. So listen. When there's doubt that creeps into your mind, when the battle is hard and you feel like quitting, when hope is low, you have to put on the helmet of salvation so that the world's doctrines don't lead you astray. So that the world's commitment to destroy the things that you believe, which is a blatant commitment to go after the Savior you love and who loves you, right? This world is no friend of grace. It attacks openly these days, openly and blatantly. And it's going to keep coming after you. It's going to tell you that you're here by time and chance. It's going to tell you that this whole creation is an accident. It's going to tell you that the universe is all there is and ever will be. It's going to tell you that it's all about the survival of the fittest. It's going to tell you that when you look at the stars, how in the world can you possibly believe any deity would even know your name? It's all exactly the opposite of what the Word of God teaches. You're here by design, a creator who made you. The universe was built just so the earth could inhabit people like you and I who get saved. And a new heaven and a new earth is coming because Jesus is in the process of fixing what's wrong down here now. Right? So, what is your mantra as you put on the helmet? I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the presence of sin. And I will be saved from the very presence of sin. Sorry, the second one is, I am being saved from the power of sin. Let me repeat that. This has not gone exactly the way this was planned in the office. <laughs> I wasn't planning to hold a mic the whole thing. So here we go. 
I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. I will be saved from the very presence of sin. Right? So put on your head the hope of salvation. It was Jesus who loved you and died for you before you ever knew him. It is Jesus who stands and serves as your great high priest so that when you fail, you can confess it and stay right with God. And it is Jesus who is coming back for you to deliver to you a place that he has been building that is all yours. Past, present, future, put on the helmet of salvation. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And thank you for the fact that we have hope. And our hope is alive. Jesus has risen from the dead according to your word. Jesus Christ has gone behind the curtain and spilled his blood and sprinkled it there for our salvation. Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God making intercession for the saints. He will ask you to forgive us for those things in our life that still need to be corrected. And as we confess, you will forgive so that you are saving us and we are working it out with fear and trembling in obedience to your word. And Lord Jesus, you're coming someday. You're going to come in the clouds and we're going to meet you there and you will make all things new. Let this be our hope and may it sustain us this week in the battle against darkness. For I pray in Jesus' name. Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.